Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. About 200 years ago in France, there was this man named Le Poe. I think that's how he says his name or you say his name, and if it's not, you don't know the difference. Le Poe was an influential politician and a leader in France, and he was bitterly opposed to the Christian faith. So what's interesting about Le Poe is that he came upon a new religion of the day 200 years ago, and he thought that this religion would be an improvement to Christianity. And so he set out on a mission to bring this new religion to France, and he uh, gathered a small core of early followers, and they tried to expand this new belief system in France. But it didn't get very far, and it became frustrating. They would uh, distribute printed materials, invitations, and it never really got off the ground. So the story is that Le Poe went to another Frenchman who was a theologian and a diplomat named Talleyrand. And this is quite an interesting conversation as the story goes. Le Poe says to Talleyrand, how could you give me some advice? You're a theologian, you know things of religion. I'm trying to start a new one in France. Could you help me? Could you give me some advice on how we might get this new belief system going? Quite a bizarre question. And, and Talleyrand, as the story goes, gave the advice or, or, or said, um, yes, I agree with you. It would be very, very difficult to start a new religion. And as the story is told, Talleyrand paused for a few minutes thinking about what advice he would give this other Frenchman. And then he said this, there is one plan which you might at least try. I should recommend to you that you be crucified and rise again on the third day. This is Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate Jesus defeating death. Good Friday is death on the cross. Resurrection Sunday, the stone is rolled away. There are thousands of religions and belief systems in this world, but there is only one empty tomb. As we do every week, we give space and understanding that there are people, you're here and you come from all different backgrounds and understandings and, and beliefs. You may be here as a committed all-in follower of Christ. You're here every Sunday. You may be a Christian, but you'd say that your faith and the way you live out your faith is not at the priority level where you want it to be. Maybe you're here and you're curious. Maybe you're here skeptical, even critical. Maybe you're here because you're honoring someone in your family and this is what they've asked you to do on Easter Sunday. It could be, we um, prayed 
and more than 2,000 invite cards left this place. And so maybe you're here and you said yes to an invitation. If you said yes to an invitation, thank you. Thank you for being here. Can we welcome those who came as a first time today? No matter where you are in your faith journey today, could we open our hearts and open our minds that God has something to say to each and every one of us through his word today? The message of Christ, and the reason this day is so significant, the message of Christ is centered on the death and resurrection of Jesus. The hope that we have in Christ is simply this. We have all thought thoughts, said things and done things that are against God and his ways. That's the definition of sin. And as a result of our sin, we're separated from our loving Heavenly Father. The consequence of sin, as the Bible lays out, is eternal separation from God in this awful, awful place called hell. Yet, God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, lived without sin, a perfect life, he is the only one in all of history that was in a position to pay the price, to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of humanity. That's the death on the cross. Three days later, the tomb is empty. That's the resurrection. Jesus gives victory over death. Because faith, this is important, because faith in Christ hinges on the resurrection, Faith in Christ hinges on the resurrection. Because of that, from the beginning, for 2,000 years, the skeptical and the critical have attempted to come up with alternative explanations for the resurrection in an attempt to dismiss the resurrection. And one of these explanations is that Jesus died, he was executed, he was killed on the cross, he went to the grave, and then the disciples, some critics and uh, skeptics would say, then the, the, the disciples and first followers in the days, weeks, and months after the crucifixion, the disciples and first followers fabricated a fictional story. And so they would say that what we're doing today is we're worshiping a fictional story that was made up by the first followers of Christ. What I want to show you today from the historical narrative is that the historical narrative of the crucifixion of Christ and resurrection would reveal something to us that is very opposite. In fact, the first followers respond to the crucifixion as if the end of Jesus' life was the end of his work. That's what I want to show you today. As we look at the word, what you're going to see, the first followers of Christ, the way that they respond to the crucifixion is as if the end of his life, the death on the cross, was the end of his work. We'll look at the tomb, the funeral, the burial spices, the weeping, the mourning, the leaving town, disciples hiding in fear. What I want to show you today is that the disciples and the first followers were as surprised as anyone at the resurrection. They thought that the crucifixion was the end of what we now know as Christianity. Consider with me the tomb, Matthew 27, verses 59 and 60. And Joseph took the body, this is Joseph of Arimathea, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his new tomb, 
which he had cut in the rock. Then he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the religious elite council. He was a wealthy man and a secret follower of Christ. He gives honor to Jesus by offering him his own tomb, the tomb of a wealthy person, and Jesus is placed in there. Now, this is an expression of great honor, but these are things that you do for someone who is dead. There were burial spices. Look with me at John chapter 19, verse 39. There with Joseph of Arimathea was Nicodemus. Nicodemus also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Now, when you hear myrrh, what comes to mind? Easter or Christmas? Why? Because the Magi, when they came to visit the child, Jesus, they they brought what? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh is symbolic of bitterness, suffering, and affliction. (laughs) Myrrh is a strange gift for an infant. If you are a parent, you did not register for myrrh at Bye Bye Baby. (laughs) Avino and Johnson's, makers of products for babies, they do not offer a myrrh product. See, myrrh is a resin that is extracted from a tree and it is used in the preparation of corpses. Odd gift for a baby. Yet it was given in foreshadowing of why Jesus came. Luke records that women went to the tomb to make sure the body was placed with honor and care. They went away from the tomb to prepare ointments and spices. Funeral embalming the way that we know it today was not practiced then. And so spices were used as a way of honoring the deceased by overcoming the smell of decomposition. So the spices were prepared and they were brought out of honor and respect. The the spices and the burial um, ointments, they were brought out of respect, but they were not brought in anticipation. The fact that the women brought spices to anoint Jesus' dead body showed that they did not expect Jesus to raise from the dead. This is what they did for a funeral. There's nothing about the response that reveals that even the closest followers of Jesus Christ were ready for the resurrection. If if human nature was anything then like it is now, if you were anticipating a resurrection, would you go away from the tomb? Not, Not me. I would be getting a lawn chair and sitting there and waiting for this event to happen. Talk about inviting your friends. This would be an event not to be missed. But no one is is waiting there anticipating the resurrection. The first followers of Christ, their response to the crucifixion is as if the end of Jesus' life was the end of his work. And so the the women arrive at the tomb and they find what? There is no body. Luke 24 verses 2 and 3, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus, which tells us what? They were expecting to find the body of Jesus. Luke tells us that they were perplexed. They were entirely at a loss. They were in doubt. 
See, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to the local ruler, Pilate, to request that the stone that Joseph had placed in front of the tomb, that the stone be sealed, and they wanted a guard. They wanted the military to stand in front of the sealed tomb. This is not the reaction of ladies who are arriving expecting a resurrection. The women finding that there's no body there, if they were expecting a resurrection, they would say, oh, this is what's happening. We were expecting to find no body because we were expecting a resurrection. No, they are stunned. They are perplexed. They don't know what, what happened to the body. The women do not immediately conclude, oh, what's happened here is that Jesus has risen from the grave. In fact, Mary Magdalene, what's her reaction upon finding that there's no body? What does she do? She weeps. She weeps and weeps and cries in deep mourning. If you think about this from Mary's perspective, she thought that the best possible outcome of the day was that she would bring these funeral ointments and spices and that she would somehow be able to persuade the soldiers who were stationed outside the tomb to move the the stone so that she could go in and honor the body with typical funeral preparations. Mary thought that that was the best possible thing that could happen that day. At seeing the empty tomb, resurrection is not Mary's reaction. She's weeping. The original word tells us that it was a continual weeping. In her line of thinking, it's all over and I could not even pay my respects to the body the way that I desired. Mary wants to know what happened to the body. After the tomb is found empty, there are two other followers who have been part of the movement and what are they doing? They're walking away from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. You walk away when? When do you walk away? When it's over. When the game is over, when the curtain comes down, you walk away. On the road to Emmaus, two who had been part of the movement are unaware that a third comes alongside them, and the third who comes alongside them is the resurrected Jesus. And so there's Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus asks them, what are you talking about? And they answer, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know? Even in an era without 24-hour news, even in a time in history where there was no Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, social media of any kind, everyone knew. Everyone knew, they, they say, that what, they, what they're talking about, everyone knew that the chief priests and the religious leaders handed Jesus over to a death sentence and execution and that Jesus was crucified. Listen to this next phrase that is spoken by a man on the road to Emmaus. And I want you to think about, does this sound like what you'd say if you were anticipating a resurrection? Listen to this. Luke 24, verse 21. We had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. The crucifixion happened three days ago. We had hoped. Now, if you go shopping, if you go on a vacation, if you go to a restaurant and you're asked about how your experience was and you begin the response with, we had hoped, 
that immediately tells us that what you had hoped for did not happen. Your expectations were not meant. We had hoped, past tense, we had hoped that Jesus would be the one to rescue our people from the oppression of the, Ro the Roman government. We had hoped, but our expectations weren't meant. The tomb, the burial spices, the women perplexed that the tomb is empty, Mary weeping, disciples waiting in fear, two guys on the road to Emmaus leaving town. What does this tell us? The first followers responded to the crucifixion as if the end of Jesus' life was the end of his work. You see, without the resurrection, without the resurrection, the death of Christ would be a long-forgotten end of a movement that stopped with the burial of its leader. What we call Christianity, it was not launched by the crucifixion. At the moment of the crucifixion, they thought it was all over. What we call today Christianity was launched by the resurrection and with the power of the Holy Spirit. What they thought was the end was actually just the beginning. Matthew 28, 6, he's not here. He's not here. Why? For he has risen as he said. Luke 24, verses 6 and 7, he is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man, that's what Jesus used to refer to himself, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. <laughs> and they remembered his words. Jesus told them this would happen. Luke chapter 9, verse 22, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Why didn't they get it? If you read the accounts of the gospel, this is not something that Jesus just said once, but it's that Jesus repeated it. He said, I'm, I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. And there's going to be a death sentence. I'm going to be executed. But on the third day, I will rise again. So why don't they anticipate the resurrection? Well, Luke explains it for us. Luke chapter 9, verse 45. But they did not understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask Jesus about this saying. They didn't know what he meant. No matter how many times Jesus repeated this theme, the disciples forgot these reminders about Jesus' suffering. And they forgot about the resurrection until after his resurrection. The magnitude and the significance was hidden from them so they couldn't understand what was going on. They were afraid to ask Jesus what he meant. But after the tomb, after the empty tomb, they remembered his words. Oh, this is what he was talking about. Acts 1-3, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, Jesus appeared to the apostles. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. The disciples, they went from conceding death to an unstoppable force for advancing the message of life in Christ. Christian author Thomas Oden, he writes it this way, 
The early church community was empowered with incredible courage in the face of seemingly impossible obstacles and terrifying threats. Why? Because their trust was not in this broken world, but in the risen Christ. In the weeks that followed the resurrection, the religious Pharisees, they continued to be filled with jealousy. And so their next plan was that they would have the apostles arrested. Now, if you think about it, if they couldn't stop this whole movement by publicly executing the leader and then guarding the tomb with soldiers from that time in history's most elite military, it doesn't seem like the new strategy or any strategy will work. The apostles, though, are hunted down and they are thrown in prison. And there they are in prison and that they, they are supernaturally released from prison. And after being released from prison, you might go into hiding and say, I don't want to go through that again. But instead of going into hiding, immediately after being released from prison, these disciples, they begin preaching and teaching in the public squares once more. And so once again, the Pharisees have them hunted down and arrested and the disciples are brought to the religious high court into the council of elders. And listen to how Peter answers their accusations. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, this accusation does not sit well with the council. Some are shouting for Peter to be killed. Kill Peter, kill them all. We should execute everyone. If we just kill them, this whole thing will be over. As they're shouting back and forth, a highly respected religious teacher named Gamaliel stands up. The way Luke records Gamaliel entering onto the pages of history is as if everyone is shouting and talking over each other. Maybe like your Easter dinner will be later on today. Everyone is shouting and yelling at each other about how these uh, apostles should be killed. And Gamaliel begins by just sitting back and observing all of this. And he lets the shouting go back and forth for a while, and then he stands up. And Gamaliel, the way that I picture it, he is so highly respected that when he stands up, everyone else is quiet. He's so revered that everyone wants to know what Gamaliel is going to say. So Gamaliel stands up and everyone else sits down and the room is hushed. What is Gamaliel going to say? And in the quietness, they lean in. They wait to hear what he has to say. All these other influential men are yelling back and forth at each other, seeing who can be the loudest, who can shout over everyone else. But Gamaliel is so highly respected that he doesn't have to shout. Everyone presses in. What will Gamaliel say? And as the room is hushed, he says to the others, let's ask the apostles to step out for a minute. Let's have them wait outside. And then they wait. They watch the apostles step outside the room and they close the door. And now he's looking at the other members of the religious council. And he says to them, let's be careful. Let's be careful about what we do with these men. And then Gamaliel brings into context what is so valuable. In Acts chapter 5, we read what Gamaliel says. He says, do you remember Thutis? Thutis.
Judas pretended to be someone who's great. He had about 400 followers. Judas was killed, and all of his followers went in various ways. The whole movement came to nothing, Gamaliel reminds them. And so the, the council is remembering this. And then Gamaliel says, also, do you remember that after Thutis, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee? And Gamaliel says, Judas of Galilee built up a following. Then he was killed. What happened to his followers? His followers scattered. So what about, what about these followers of Jesus who are waiting outside? What should we do with them? Gamaliel says, look at the pattern. Look at the pattern. We can take from history that we don't need to intervene. We don't need to get more, we do not need to get more blood on our hands. Why? Because in the past, the movement did not outlast the leader. This is a quote. If this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them you might even be found opposing God. We are not gathered to simply remember and reflect on a work that ended 2,000 years ago as a historical event that's interesting to talk about. We worship the one who defeated death. What's happening here and in every other church around the world today, it's not a funeral for one who is dead. It's not a memorial to what once was. This is a celebration of the risen Savior who is the hope of the world and is alive. <laughs> to follow Christ is to follow a Savior who is alive. Jesus, he did not come to start a religion. Jesus came to restore broken humanity to a loving Heavenly Father. If you're here today and you struggle with religious people, you have something in common with Jesus. It was the religious people who wanted Jesus executed. It was the religious elites who called for Jesus' life. And while, yes, they were the ones who shouted for Jesus' life, who wanted him executed, remember what Jesus said. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Death on the cross, this is evidence that Jesus was human. The resurrection, this is evidence that Jesus is God. In these closing moments, would you bow your heads with me all over this room and close your eyes for a moment of personal reflection with your heavenly Father? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ today. How grateful we are that by coming to you in the name of Jesus, we don't need to go through another person to have access to your throne room. We enter into the presence of God in our prayers because of what Jesus had, has done for us. 
Father, we thank you for this sacred moment. Father, we believe that every person who's here is here on purpose and for a purpose. Different circumstances have drawn each one to this place. Some are here out of discipline because this is their church home. Others are here as an, the result of an invitation. And Father, we even heard a testimony this week of a young woman who came through our doors thinking that she was pulling into the parking lot to simply turn around, but yet was drawn to come in by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we believe that everyone is here for a reason today. And Father, I believe you've been faithful to speak to every one of our hearts something from your word that speaks into our life today. You may be here today and you're a follower of Christ. You made that decision days, weeks, months, years, or even decades ago, and you've lived all in for Jesus. You can point to the moment that your life was turned around, that you left sin in the past, and you began to pursue your heavenly Father. Perhaps in a moment of honesty, you'd say that you would describe yourself as a Christian, but it's been a lukewarm faith. And you want to get to next Easter, and you want it to look different. You truly want to go all in, not just one foot here and one foot on the other side. Or maybe you're here today and you'd say, I have a respect for Jesus. I've known about Jesus. I've always understood at least parts of what the Easter story is all about. But again, in a moment of honesty, you'd say, you would confess that you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've never received the gift of salvation. You've never made the decision to turn from your life of sin and turn in the direction of Jesus. And what God is speaking to your heart this Resurrection Sunday is that today is a day of personal resurrection. Today is a day to no longer be dead in your sin, but today is a day to be alive in Christ. Thank you, Father, for the four people in our first service who gave their life to Christ today. Thank you, Father, for the eight people in our second service who gave their life to Christ today. Today has already been a day of life change. So I once again will ask the question in this service. If you're here today, in the moment between you and your Heavenly Father, you want to declare Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You want to make a first-time commitment or a recommitment to Jesus Christ. It would be my great privilege and honor to lead you in that prayer of commitment. And just so I know who I'm praying for today, if today is a day you want to give your life to Christ, Again, first-time commitment or recommitment. Would you lift up your hand and look at me so that I know who I'm praying for? Just lift up a hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I see both of your hands. See your hands over here. Who else today? I see your hand up in the balcony. Who else today would give their life to Christ? I see your hand up in the balcony. Right down here, ma'am, I see your hand. I see your hand, sir. 
We have some prayer partners who are going to come and just lay a hand on you and pray for you as we pray this together. Right down here. This precious couple right down here. If you raise your hand in decision today, just keep your hand raised. We want to send somebody to you. Gary, right back here. anyone else today today is a day of decision for you to slip up a hand we want to come to you right back here Shauna you come right here to the center section we see your hand we believe this is an important decision moment anyone else today I want to lead you in a prayer and the words don't mean anything if there's no heart behind it. If the words mean nothing to you, they mean nothing to God. But if they mean something to you, they mean everything to your Heavenly Father. So what I'm going to ask you to do right now is to pray. And church, we're going to pray as these people make a decision today. Maybe it's been a long time since you've prayed, or maybe you've never prayed, so it may feel clunky. Well, what's important is not that your words are fancy. What's important is that your words are real. And so right now, just say, Father, I realize that I have sinned against you. That's right. It's okay. Say it out loud. Father, I realize I've sinned against you. I see that my ways have not been your ways. And then you can say to your loving Heavenly Father, whose ear is leaned down from heaven right now, say, Father, I receive your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. That's right. Tell God right now, say, Father, I receive your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. I declare Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And then this is a moment that you can express your gratitude. Say, Father, thank you for forgiving me. Say, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And then it's a moment of commitment. You can say, God, I don't want this to be fleeting. I don't want to just walk out of here and it be the same. Say, Father, show me the way. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that goes with me. Show me what I need to leave in the past. Show me what to turn away from and help me to turn every aspect of my life in your direction. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room today who's made a decision for Christ. And it's on my heart that there may be one more out here today who hasn't raised your hand, but you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've had this feeling like, I, I, what I've done, could God really forgive me? And I want you to hear today, yes, his, the blood of Christ covers all. And if you haven't made that decision and you want someone to come with you to pray, just lift up a hand. We want someone to be able to come to you. Father, we thank you for decisions today. Thank you for new life in Christ. 
Thank you for hope. Thank you for redemption. I pray that this moment will be sealed. That in the years that follow, by the time we get to Easter 2023 and beyond, that those who have raised a hand today will look back and say, I remember when my life was changed forever on Resurrection Sunday, 2022. Let's praise our Heavenly Father and let's thank Him for the work of His Word here today. As we get ready to close, this is interesting. After Jesus Christ was resurrected, he appeared to his, his first followers. This is at the end of uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 17 says this. When they saw him, when the disciples saw him, this is the resurrected Jesus. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Can you imagine? There are, what Matthew records is that there are disciples who were standing in the presence of one who had been crucified and placed in a sealed tomb. And now they're standing in front of him. He's alive. And the reaction of most was to worship. But some were still in doubt. See, it's possible that there's there's some, no amount of evidence. The heart is so hardened that no amount of evidence would convince them to worship Jesus. And they say that it's not, they say that the problem is that there's not enough evidence. But what's really standing in the way, it's not evidence that is the barrier, it's pride that is, in the, that is the barrier. We have a choice right now. In the presence of a resurrected Jesus, do we stand in worship or do we walk away in doubt? And if it's your decision to stand in worship in the presence of a resurrected Savior, then let's do that right now. Our worship team is coming and let's heap on the praise in this house today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.